All right. This is a Year 10 English podcast um, for everyone who is writing their blogs. Um, and today I'm joined by Justin Minaguzi, who is a travel writer. Hello, Justin. Hi, guys. Um, thanks, Sharon, for having me. All right, Justin, can you tell us a bit about your background and maybe how you fell into travel writing? Yeah, sure. So I'm a freelance travel journalist. So that means that I uh, have a glamorous job that involves traveling around the world, uh, meeting a lot of people uh, and uh, sharing those stories and those experiences with my readers. And I write for a bunch of publications around the world, including National Geographic, uh, the BBC and The Age and Herald Sun here in Australia. Um, how I got into it? Um, it's kind of a funny path. I actually studied law, studied a master's of law at university. And at the end of my law degree, I won $10,000 uh, to travel. So I went traveling and I realized that this was my passion. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed the people that I met uh, while I was traveling. I kind of wanted to merge the two of those. So when I got home, I stopped practicing law and went into freelance journalism instead. And here we are. Anyway, that's a pretty, um, I, you know, I just love how um, roundabout, I guess, some of these career paths are, especially during these days, and something that um, students should really take a note of, that things aren't always as straightforward um, as you like it to be in life sometimes, and sometimes you just got to take a risk there to kind of get um, your Absolutely. dream job. Absolutely. Um, so let's pivot a little bit. We're here to talk about um, travel writing and blog writing. Um, what's the difference between just writing for a newspaper and writing for a blog, do you think, Justin? Yeah, um, so writing for a newspaper, you usually, um, I mean, you're writing for a publication that sells news. So there's typically an angle around the newsworthiness of the story, whether it's a new product or a trend or something related to the bigger picture of what's happening in the community. Uh, and you usually have a pretty tight word limit because with print, there's only a certain amount of space. Uh, when you're writing for a blog, you actually have a lot more freedom to play around and you're usually uh, self-publishing as well, um, or you might be publishing online for someone else and there's no real limitation around how much you can write. Uh, and blogs are also, um, they're what we call evergreen. So they're not as tied to the news cycle as writing for a newspaper. You can write something uh, without it needing to be newsworthy or immediately uh, relevant, uh, which I think gives you great flexibility to write about more things. So um, I guess before we talk about the writing, what's one of your most memorable, I guess, travel and writing experiences that you've had so far? Oh, yeah, this is easy. I've shared this enough, enough times now to know what it is. Um, back in 2018, I was lucky enough to uh, do a polar expedition up into the high Arctic uh, of Norway. And I was um, uh, cruising around one of the most remote settlements called Longyearbyen, uh, which is the last human settlement before the North Pole. And what we were looking for were polar bears. Um, there are more polar bears in this region than there are people. Uh, and so we were tracking them to try and find them. And uh, I remember we were sitting down for dinner and the uh, crew started ringing an alarm on the ship to tell us that a polar bear was approaching. So we all ran out onto the deck and I'm a photographer as well, so I had my camera with me. And just under the bow of the ship, right underneath me there was a polar bear um, sniffing around, probably trying to find out, you know, the smell of the food that we were just eating before. Mm. And just had an incredible moment um, looking down the lens where eyes connected and it just um, you, you see a side of an animal. It wasn't ferocious. It wasn't anything like that. It was really quite childlike and innocent, which definitely changed my perspective. 
Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's just, that sounds like a very unique experience. So how do you then go about translating something that is um, so, you know, obviously it's hard to translate that experience, especially something like that. How do you translate that for an audience? Like how do you go about writing for that? Like what's your process? Yeah, good question. Um, I think often with travel writing, you are writing, writing about experiences and things that the person reading the story would have very little frame of reference to understand what you're talking about. Um, few people would understand how cold the Arctic is. Few people, you know, if you hadn't been to Southeast Asia trying to explain what the markets in Hoi An um, are like, isn't, you know, it's just quite difficult. So I think that the, the challenge of the writer, which I quite enjoy, is how do you bring those experiences to life on the page uh, through the senses? So when I'm in a destination and I'm looking to write a piece, um, I take a huge amount of notes. Uh, and I'm always noting things like, what am I seeing? Uh, what am I hearing? What am I tasting? Uh, what am I smelling? Uh, when I touch something, what does it, what does it feel like? Um, you know, if you're going to pick up a, an unusual fruit, um, or, you know, a hand-carved object. What does it feel like? All these interesting textures and uh, things that really bring colour to a story. Um, and often the more detail you can bring to a piece, the better. Um, you know, if I tell you that there was a bed, uh, you know, there was a, there's a bed in the hotel room, um, you know, that's not very interesting, but if I told you the bed was on a teak base with... Um, you know, a silk curtain hanging down over the top of a candle next to it, then that evokes a much warmer um, mm. kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the students that will be at looking at your article um, about the Great Otway National Park um, and I believe the glowworms. Yeah, um, cool. And, you know, I think, and if the students are looking at that in class, um, you can also see the way Justin is immersing us. He's not just saying, go to the Great Otway as you talk about the low growl of the possums, um, which really does put us in the things that we don't really see, but we can hear and putting us into those shoes. So um, that's really great. So... And we can see that evident in your writing and sort of like writing with those five senses. Um, so then how many drafts does it take for you before you are happy with your final product for self-publication? Um, obviously, a newspaper, you have an editor to sort of give you feedback. Um, but if you're writing for your own blog and your own self-publication, how many drafts do you make before you sort of make it live to, a, to the internet audience? Yeah, it's a good question because um, it really did depend on what I'm writing, <laughs> um, how motivated I am to kind of get it done. Um, but I think my process uh, generally is that I will start, before I start writing anything, I will get a piece of paper and I will plot out what I'm going to write. So I will have kind of dot points. Um, I even sometimes do wavy lines between them for some reason, which doesn't make sense to me. Um, but uh, just to kind of get my, my thought process and my structure down on the page. Uh, and though once I know, you know, what points I'm going to talk about and in what order, I'll start writing. And I'll have days where my first draft comes out really easily and um, I don't have to think too much about it. And then I have days where I have absolute writer's block and I'm just struggling and my, my wife will come in the door and she'll be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I can't write. What am I doing? Um, and so I guess I've learned over the years that your first draft is just the first draft. It's never perfect. If it was perfect, then that says that you've done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
no one writes. No, not even the best writers on the planet will produce a brilliant piece on the first go. So typically I will go, you know, if it's a standard blog piece, I'll usually go two or three drafts. Um, if it's, uh, you know, I've had um, some investigative pieces that have gone up to 10 drafts. Um, and each time you do a draft, you're adding layers and layers and layers to help refine it and fine tune it. So, you know, you might, might write one draft and then in the second draft, you'll go over and add another layer of detail or you'll fact check what you've said and just correct the things that you've already written. Mm. So it's just that constant process of refinement and improvement. And do you have a critical friend, like when you are doing it on your own for your blog to kind of read over what you're doing? Um, yeah, my wife, <laughs> Sarah, um, I will often call Sarah into my office and be like, can you read this? And I'll stand outside the doorway looking in <laughs> as she's reading it. Um, I've had friends uh, read it for me. Um, yeah. But it's sometimes not always practical to have someone proofread your work for you um, just because of time or people might not be available. Uh, so I find a really great technique that I will write something uh, two or three days before it's actually due. And I'll there's that technique, you don't do it now because everything's digital, but there's the technique of you print it, you put it in the drawer and you forget about it for the day. And you come back the next day and you look at it with fresh eyes and a lot more of your mistakes will jump out at you when you do that or you will think about something in a different way. Mm. Uh, so I find that's a really good technique. Um, and another one is to actually read your work out loud. That's a really good way to find the grammar problems and punctuation problems. Mm. And so we talked. You talked about an audience beforehand about trying to write for um, someone that may not know been to that place. Um, well, you're writing, I guess, most of the time you're writing to entice people to go somewhere. Um, but do you ever think about? Oh, I also need to write for the experienced traveler. Like, how do you balance the needs of your audience that are reading your articles or blogs? Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I often find they're one and the same. Um, the experienced traveller who has no experience of going to Morocco is going to be in the same boat as an inexperienced traveller who maybe hasn't been anywhere in the world, but they still haven't been in Morocco. So they're kind of in the same boat a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of describing the experiences, I think you can kind of treat them the same. I think um, when you are writing about those experiences, I find it helps not to go for the obvious. Try and pick out the details and the things that are going to get people's interest or intrigue them. What's something unusual that you saw, you observed in that destination that maybe other articles and other blogs haven't covered? Um, to give you an example of that, I recently did a trip uh, to Hong Kong and a lot of the stories about Hong Kong were about the dumplings or they were about the architecture or they were about other things. But when I got there, I found that there were actually witches uh, living on the bridges in Hong Kong and you could pay them to um, tell your fortune. And the whole, you know, they light things on fire and they, they kind of dance around you. And no one had written about that before. So if you can find an additional detail that's going to surprise the experienced traveller because it opened their eyes to something about destination they didn't know about, that's also going to surprise and delight the mm. experienced traveller as well. Yeah. Yeah, witches in Hong Kong, that could be relevant for our fantasy subject. There's a good inspiration point there, accidentally. Um, I guess the last one, I guess like the last few questions is, um, what makes a good travel blog, in your opinion? Like, what do you think makes it an engaging piece of writing? Um, yeah, I think um, travel writing 
broadly kind of, you know, when people start out in travel journalism, a lot of the time they end up writing just about their holiday. Like on my holiday, I did this. And it's very much about their experience. And I think tra good travel writing, good travel journalism is where you separate the experience from yourself and you can write about it um, in a way where you're a bit objective and you, you're not uh, imposing any of your values over what you're saying and you're describing it a bit more objectively in that way. Um, it's also very detail oriented. If you can say, you know, what train got you from X to Z, um, that's going to be a lot more helpful for the reader than saying, I've just got to try and, um, you know. Um, so factual details are really good. Um, not making it all about you. <laughs> uh, and what else? Um, I think they're kind of the key ones. And I think last one, because we've been talking about it in a bit of our classes, is uh, the balance between being a foreigner and being a West and having Western values. Um, I think even if you're a migrant in Australia, but if you've grown up here, you would have a lot of our own uh, sort of that value, that colonial values kind of going overseas and looking at things. Um, how do you balance, I guess, and you talked about being objective, how do you balance with what we value as normal or as an enjoyable experience uh, with something and being sort of culturally sensitive or being or trying not to bring that colonial view to um, places that you visit. So how do you balance that in your writing or how do you think about that as you write? Yeah, I think um, the real beauty and I think what is such a great privilege of being a travel journalist is that you get to see, you get to meet people in their natural environment, you know, where they've grown up, where they come from. And it's such a privilege to be able to meet them and ask questions and learn about their culture and everything that makes what they do unique. And I think if you go into that setting with prejudgment in your mind or not having an open mind rather, and you're like, ew, I don't like that food or you want to judge someone for about their religious beliefs or for their appearance, you're really cheating yourself because usually the best stories are those that come out of those details and having a curious and inquisitive mind to ask polite questions. Um, I find typically if you ask a question politely, even if it sounds rude and invasive, people will typically ask, answer it. Um, but if you do it in the right way, it can really open your own world in terms of your understanding of the world around us. And you'll do that for your readers as well, which I think is just really invaluable. Um, and to give you an example of that, I'll give you two examples. One was a trip in Cambodia. Uh, there was a Western woman there who was quite Catholic. And she came to Cambodia not really understanding that a lot of people are Buddhist or have different beliefs there uh, or are Muslim. And she would quite vocally complain and criticise people in the temples for not being Christian. And uh, it's such a shame because that was such an opportunity to get up close uh, with that culture and understand it and understand the history of it and why things are. And then she came away from it looking a bit silly and um, didn't really get the most out of it. On the flip side of the coin, um, I was recently on a trip in Turkey uh, and a lot of Turkish food, um, they use the whole animal. Right? They use the liver, mm -hmm. they use the spleen, they use a lot of things that, you know, if you walked into a restaurant in Melbourne, they're probably not going to have it on the menu. Uh, and they're, you know, like awful and those kind of um, leftover organs that tend to be uh, thrown out. 
And uh, we went to a restaurant and they were serving um, all that offal, all that bit. And it was quite confronting for myself personally because it's not something I would normally eat. But in sitting down to understand or eat that and understand it, we actually had um, a dessert. It was like a, um, uh, a vanilla slice, but it was made out of chicken. Mm. The chicken oh. had been like liquefied and melted down and rendered so I had the same consistency as a vanilla slice and it was between two pastry pieces and um, you know the your gut reaction is to be repulsed by that but once you try it and it just it actually tasted amazing and you understand wow. the history of the dish and you understand why they make it the way they did that's an interesting story and that's something you'll go away and you'll tell people about afterwards so have an open mind don't judge and realize that that's the best way to get a story. Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Justin, for sharing those uh, really valuable insights, especially about um, even though the students are going through a hypothetical world that they're making of fantasy um, in a real-world setting, um, I think some of those things to sort of be mindful if we're even imagining sort of going to a different place, doing our research and sort of having an open mind. So before we log off, do you have any last words about uh, what makes uh, a good writer or a good piece of writing um, or even how to approach writing for our students? Yeah. Um, a good writer is one who doesn't stop. Uh, you know, so the most terrifying thing is looking at a blank page and just get started, pick a point, start there. It doesn't matter. Have to be, there's no right or wrong. Just get words on the page and the rest will sort itself out. Great. Well, thank you, Justin. Um, we will definitely be enjoying uh, reading your Glowworm article in the Otways. And I think I'm going to find this. Is the Polar Bear story published? Uh, it is. It's on my website. All right, so if you go on my website and scroll down under the editorial bit, they're um, a downloadable PDF. Okay, and I'll definitely share that with the whole team for us to look at as well because I think that will be, that'll be an amazing experience to listen to. So thank you so much for your time. No, um, thanks so much for having me. No problems.